Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner, In Defense of Christianity. This segment is from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Book 1, Canto 8, Part 1, Episode 20. Podcast 146 is entitled, King Arthur and the Giant. In last week's episode, King Arthur, perceiving Una's grief, persuades her to tell her entire story. Una is so distraught that she at first refuses to confide in King Arthur. The wise King Arthur persists, so Una relates the story of how her parents are held captive by the dragon, and how the Red Cross Knight is held captive by the temptress Duessa, and the evil giant Orgoglio. King Arthur covenants to deliver the Red Cross Knight from the dungeon. Fair virgin to redeem her dear brings Arthur to the fight, who slays that giant, wounds the beast, and strips Duessa quite. Spencer laments that the righteous must face so many perils from Satan, who daily seeks their fall. Only through heavenly grace can we be stained against the wiles of the devil. Grace is firm and her care continuous. Spencer compares Una, which means truth, to pure grace, for her love for the Red Cross Knight is steady. However, through foolish pride or personal weakness or sins, man becomes overpowered by Satan. If not for the steadfast Una, the Red Cross Knight would have died. The dwarf leads King Arthur, his squire, and Una to the giant's castle. In the quest, we have everything we need to conquer the giant. Una represents truth. The dwarf represents common sense. The squire represents faith. King Arthur represents all the virtues. They are on a quest to rescue the Red Cross Knight who symbolized holiness. But through the wiles of Duessa, he committed grievous sins and is now bound by his sins in the giant's dungeon, persecuted by Duessa, the whore of Babylon. Ay me, how many perils do enfold the righteous man to make him daily fall were not that heavenly grace doth him uphold, and steadfast truth acquit him out of all. Her love is firm, her care continual, so often as he, through his own foolish pride or weakness, is to sinful bands made thrall. Else should this red cross knight in bands have died, for whose deliverance she, this prince, does thither guide. They persevere until they reach the castle, whose walls are very high. The dwarf spies the castle first and cries out, Lo, yonder is the same in which my lord, my liege, doth luckless lie. The dwarf turns to King Arthur and begs him to use his mighty powers to free his master. They order Una to stay behind till she knows how the battle ends. They sadly travailed thus until they came nigh to a castle builded strong and high. Then cried the dwarf, Lo, yonder is the same in which my lord, my liege, doth luckless lie, thrall to the giant's hateful tyranny. 
Therefore, dear sir, your mighty powers assay. The noble knight alighted by and by from lofty steed and bade the lady stay to see what end of fight should him befall that day. King Arthur moves forward with his squire. The castle gates are shut tight and no one answers. The squire takes out his magic horn, which has great powers. So with the squire, the admirer of his might, he marched forth toward the castle wall, whose gates he found fast shut, ne living white toward the same, nor answer comers call. Then took the squire an horn of bugle small, which hung adown his side in twisted gold and tassels gay. Wide wonders over all of that same horn, great virtues weren't told, which had approved been in uses manifold. Any evil person who heard the sound of that magic horn trembled. The sound of the horn could be heard for three miles, its echo rebounding three times. No enchantment or deceit had power against the bugle. No gate was strong enough to stand, and no lock strong enough to guard against the awful sound. Immediately, castle gates flew open, and the locks broke at the loud blast. It reminds us of the fall of the walls of Jericho. Was never white that heard that shrilling sound, but trembling fear did feel in every vein. Three miles it might be easy heard around, and Echoes Three answered itself again. No false enchantment nor deceitful train might once abide the terror of that blast but presently was void and wholly vain. No gate so strong, no lock so firm and fast, but with that piercing noise flew open quite or brast. For Goglio, the giant, is unsettled at the sound. He left his dalliance with Duessa and went rushing to the inner court. He wondered what strange horror dared to challenge his awful power. The same before the giant's gate he blew that all the castle quaked from the ground, and every door of free will open flew. The giant self-dismayed with that sound, where he with his duessa dalliance found, in haste came rushing forth from inner bower. With staring countenance stern, as one astound and staggering steps, to wheat that sudden stour he wrought that horror strange, and darred his dreaded power. Close behind the giant, Duessa came running. She was mounted on her many-headed beast. Every head had a tongue of fire, and every head was crowned. The beast had just feasted on the blood of saints. When King Arthur saw the bloody beast, he held up his mighty shield, and courageously flew at the many-headed monster. And after him, the proud Duessa came, high-mounted on her many-headed beast. And every head with fiery tongue did flame, and every head was crowned on his crest, and bloody mouth with late cruel feast. That when the knight beheld his mighty shield upon him manly arm he soon addressed, and at him fiercely flew, with courage filled and eager greediness through every member thrilled. This is a story of good versus evil. Spencer is clearly referring to the beast in Revelation 17. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. 
And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon, the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. The giant who sees King Arthur is inflamed with rage. He buckles on his armor and lifts up his heavy club large enough to crush any mortal. However, the clever King Arthur agilely avoided the mighty blow. Therewith the giant buckled him to fight, inflamed with scorn, wrath, and high disdain, and lifting up his dreadful club on high, all armed with ragged snubs and naughty grain, him thought at first encounter to have slain. But wise and wary was that noble peer, and lightly leaping from so monstrous mane, did fair avoid the violence him near. It booted not to think such thunderbolts to bear. King Arthur thought it no shame to outmaneuver the giant. The idle stroke missed Arthur and hit so heavily on the ground that it left a deep furrow, causing the earth to groan and shake like an earthquake. Knee shame, he thought, to shun so hideous might. The idle stroke, enforcing furious way, missing the mark of his mislaid sight, did fall to ground, and with his heavy sway so deeply dinted in the driven clay that three yards deep a furrow up did throw. The sore earth, wounded with so sore a say, did groan full grievous underneath the blow, and trembling with strange fear did like an earthquake show. Spencer compares the battle to the wrath of Almighty Jove, who wants to punish man for his sins by showing his anger. The scene is ironic because the evil giant represents the wrath of the gods, as he comes down with his mighty club causing earthquakes and mountains to rise up out of the earth. And when Almighty Jove in wrathful mood to wreck the guilt of mortal sins is bent, hurls forth his thundering dart with deadly food, Enrolled in flames and smoldering detriment Through driven clouds and molten firmament. The fierce three-forked engine making way Both lofty towers and highest tree hath rent, And all that might his anger passage stay And shooting in the earth casts up a mount of clay. The giant's club sinks in the ground so hard That even the giant cannot lift it up again. That gave King Arthur an advantage. As the giant worked to free his club, King Arthur drew out his sword and cut off the giant's left arm. The giant's blood flowed out of his arm like a river. His boisterous club, so buried in the ground, he could not rear it up again so light, but that the knight him at advantage found. And whilst he strove his cumbered club to quite out of the earth, with blade all burning bright, he smote off his left arm, which like a block did fall to ground, deprived of native might. Large streams of blood out of the trunked stock forth gushed, like freshwater stream from river rock. Angry at such a deadly wound, and impatient with the pain, the giant brayed with beastly yelling sound that echoed over the fields. 
dismayed with so desperate deadly wound and eke impatient of unwanton pain, he loudly brayed with beastly yelling sound that all the fields rebellowed again. As great a noise as when in Cimbrian plain and herd of bulls, whom's kindly range doth sting, do for the milky mother's want complain, and fill the field with troublous bellowing, the neighbor woods around with hollow murmur ring. When his lover Duessa heard the horrible sound that endangered her new kingdom, she quickly came to his aid, riding the dreadful beast with many heads. However, King Arthur's squire quickly leapt into the path of the beast. He stood between the beast and King Arthur. That when his dear Duessa heard, and saw the evil stound that dangered her estate, unto his aid she hastily did draw her dreadful beast, who swoln with blood of late came ramping forth with proud presumptuous gait, and threatened all his head like flaming brands. But him the squire made quickly to retreat, encountering fierce, with single sword in hand, and twixt him and his lord did like a bulwark stand. Duessa flies into a rage. She is disdainful of the squire. In fury she urges the beast on. But the squire firmly stands his ground between the beast and King Arthur, refusing to allow the beast to pass. The proud Duessa, full of wrath, spite, and fierce disdain, to be affronted so, enforced her purple beast with all her might that stop out of the way to overthrow, scorning the let of so unequal foe. But neither more would that courageous swain to her yield passage against his lord to go, but with outrageous strokes did him restrain, and with his body barred the way atwixt them twain. The wicked witch Duessa takes her golden cup, which is filled with magic arts and poison, and pours it on the squire, causing the squire to fall in sudden dread. The golden cup is the cup spoken of by John in Revelation 17, quoted above, carried by the whore of Babylon. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. The golden cup symbolizes the evil temptations of the natural man. Notice that Duessa pours the poison on the squire's weaker parts, meaning, of course, the places where he's most vulnerable to temptations, suggesting that Satan preys on our weaknesses. Then took the angry witch her golden cup, which still she bore, replete with magic arts. Death and despair did many thereof sup, the secret poison through their inner parts, the eternal bell of heavy wounded hearts which after charms and some enchantment said she lightly sprinkled on his weaker parts. Therewith his sturdy courage soon was quayed, and all his senses were with sudden dread dismayed. The squire falls down before the beast. The beast seizes the squire with his bloody claws with the intention of crushing the life out of him. The squire was powerless to rise and defend himself. But immediately King Arthur, who sees the danger, turns away from the giant and attacks the beast. So down he fell before the cruel beast, who on his neck with bloody claws did seize, that life nigh crushed out of his panting breast. 
no power he had to stir nor will to rise. That when the careful knight gan well advise, he lightly left the foe with whom he fought, and to the beast gan turn his enterprise. For wondrous anguish in his heart it wrought to see his loved squire into such thaldrum brought. King Arthur raises his sword high and strikes one of the heads of the beast so hard that he tore the scalp off down to the teeth. Blood gushed out and staining Duessa's garments and flooding the floor. And high advancing his bloodthirsty blade stroke one of those deformed heads so sore that of his puessence proud in sample made his monstrous scalp down to his teeth it tore and that misformed shape misshaped more. A sea of blood gushed from the gaping wound that her gay garments stained with filthy gore and overflowed all the field around that over shoes in blood he waded on the ground. This battle symbolizes the fight between good versus evil, God versus Satan, spiritual man versus natural man, and man versus Satan. Only those who wear the full armor of God, such as King Arthur, can defeat Satan and his powers. The magic employed by Duessa symbolizes the cunning of Satan. Join us next week as the fierce battle continues. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.